Blog Talk Radio. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Monday, September 20th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. I'm Matthew Zachary, a 14-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 15-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we are your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. Got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, The Early Act, with... U.S. Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz, breast cancer survivor, chief deputy whip of the U.S. House of Representatives, Florida's 20th Congressional District, and advocate spotlight survivor Lindsay Abner, young adult breast cancer advocate, founder and executive executive director of Bright Pink. As a reminder, folks, this broadcast is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, online at i2y.com. We help young adults fight cancer every day and are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs because it's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So hello, my friends, and welcome to yet another fun and exciting Rob to the Hay on tonight. Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network and iTunes. As we broadcast live, all the way live, from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. And now it is time to welcome our chief cancer anarchist, vice president of grassroots programming, Jack Buffard. Hello, Jack. Hey, man. Hey, Lisa. What's up? What up? Oh, boy. Well, Jack will be monitoring our live concurrent interactive chat room. So if you have any questions for our guests, please let them know. We'll try to do our best to try to get them answered. And as always, she's back. She's fabulous. She's better than ever. We are joined by our fabulous broadcast production assistant, young adult survivor. She rocks. You know her. You love her. Amanda Freeman. Hi, guys. Welcome back, Amanda. We We miss you you too. I heard you went on a little vacation. I did. To the hospital. uh, Mount Sinai, and the Wi Fi is crappy. I couldn't even get you guys on my computer. Oh, man. Come on, Mount Sinai. Yeah, I know. Get Get up with your Wi Fi, Mount Sinai. How come you didn't send us a postcard from Chemoville? (laughs) Do they even let you do that? Can you buy your own cards for yourselves in the gift chart? Why? When you could have someone do it for you? I suppose so. I suppose so. Well, we have some fantastic in-studio guests tonight. Our chemo deck is packed with some great folks. Uh, I'd like to introduce them. Coming back, returning champions, Kenny Kane, our vice president of operations, and uh, his uh, girlfriend, Ellen Eloise. I keep saying Ellen. Ellen? Ellen? You know why? That's the second week in a row. You know why? Because girlfriend Erin. It's the L and the R and my lisp. My wife, a speech therapist, will... Uh, anyway. Aaron Eloise Tulberg, young adult breast cancer survivor, and our newest champion of our leadership cabinet, volunteer advocate for the organization. We have Woo! entrepreneur Blake Janelle in the house tonight. Hello, Blake. Hello, thank you. For those of you millions of folks out there who were part of uh, getting Kenny 
and Jack and our friend Aaron Spicer on this vegetarian dare. We have Blake to thank for that. He is the founder of MyDunkTank.com. Thank you, Blake. And, uh, yeah, thanks, pal. Blake is spearheading a multinational initiative to raise us $100 billion. <laughs> um, we also have Sunil Siparson, a young adult advocate from uh, Stony Brook, right, sir? Yeah, Stony Brook University. And how are you doing tonight? Hanging out, having a good time with Chemo Deck. You happy to be here? Oh, yeah, definitely. Don't, don't lie to me. No, no, very happy. Okay, okay. He looks elated. And uh, we have a very special guest all the way from France this evening. We have a young adult breast cancer survivor and attorney who crossed the pond to come to the States, and uh, she's going to be spending some time with us here. Her name is Catel Martineau. Would you like to step up to the mic and say bonjour to yes. our audience? Bonjour à tous. Oh, oh. See, that's what hey, we Chris, need. Hey, croissant to you, too. <laughs> <laughs> I love the language. That's what we need. That is what we need. Yeah. What the world needs now is more French. French <laughs> is another love language that I suck at. As opposed to English being the first? <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> this is exciting. This is a this is a big this is a packed house tonight. We got remember we used to cram these people in here when we had the other studio here, the office and, and we couldn't breathe. And yeah. we were sweating. Yeah, it was ninety degrees and we have air conditioning and we have an international crowd. We do. And an international audience, 288,000 listens as Unbelievable. of today. That's Unbelievable. crazy. Yes. And I think the estimates that we received earlier today were we were going to hit 400,000 by By the end month. of the year. I'm, I'm planning half a million by the end of the year. I'm I with no you. reason we can't hit half I'm a million by you. the end of the year. And that is a call to action for all of our listeners. Um, please subscribe to the iTunes podcast if you don't already. You don't have to necessarily listen to the show live. We love when you do. We love our chat room. But by all means, you go to itunes.i2y.com. is a direct link to our podcast on the iTunes store. Subscribe. You will be automatically downloaded every episode each week. It is the best way to keep in touch with what we do and the best way to share what we do with your friends. Don't even have to think about it. There no, it comes. It's that simple. And everybody can fan the Stupid Cancer Show on Facebook. So if you just type in Stupid Cancer Show and like the page, you can post it on your walls, and the current shows will uh, will show up and direct people that way and get more people involved. But we can't. But everybody's been doing an amazing job. I mean, we have to thank everybody who listens to this show for this kind of growth that one of our astute listeners measured at over 700%. Uh, right. Since it's January, probably 800 now. Probably 800 by now. So uh, thanks to everybody so much who's been out there, who's been listening, spreading the word, telling their friends, telling their family. It's phenomenal. It, it really is quite mind-boggling to think that we're reaching so many people out there. And um, again, it, it just goes back to I think that we must be doing something right, even though Jack's still here. What? <laughs> hey. I think it's our. I, I won't be here much longer if I, I have to do this 40-day vegetarian diet. Yeah. I'm wasting away over here. I think it's our guests who must be doing something right. The yes. folks that we bring on our show, they're the they're the ones that are doing everything right. This has been a kick-ass season so far. Kick-ass season. All of our survivors that come on have amazing stories, and they're so honest, and they're humorous, and uh, they're so inspiring. And the guests that we've had on this sort of well, you know, last week's show, the Big C drew a big audience, and people are still coming our way and sending us messages like on how great it was to have. No, and that is true. That is true, and I did actually watch episode three. And I just found out today, I think they got renewed for a second season. That's awesome. right. So kudos to uh, to that crew over there, Darl Darlene Hunt. Darlene you Hunt, rock. the creator. Fantastic. Totally rocks. A fabulous guest for us. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, so do we have anything? Yeah, we wanted to talk about this one issue that was really bothering us in the news today, and I guess we could, we're going to broach this with our guests as well because it's something that I think is just so... It makes you want to punch a kitten, <laughs> to, quote a, to, to quote from one of our former guests. Um, Jennifer Owen, thank you for that. There was an incredible article in the New York Times about uh, two cousins, each of whom was diagnosed with the same cancer, correct? Melanoma. Yes. Mm -hmm. And go ahead, Lise. What, has, had it... One ended up being stage three and one was stage four, and the one who was stage four got into a clinical trial for uh, a drug, and I don't have the exact letters and names of the drug at the moment. It's in New York Times. You can go on their website and look at the piece under the health section. But they were calling it the super pill, a new pill that uh, was shrinking tumors at uh, an accelerated rate from what they had seen before, and a clinical trial going on. So one of the cousins, they were both in their early 20s, 
got into uh, the clinical trial for the super pill and wanted to get his other cousin in who was married and had kids and actually humbly said, I think my cousin needs it more than I do. But the other cousin with melanoma was put into a random sampling of folks who were going to get the control, which is the chemotherapy that uh, most doctors agree has been fairly ineffective for the past 30 years for melanoma. But he could not get out of the control group. And the article was fascinating because it talks about how when there's such advancements for drugs these days that really seem to uh, make much more progress than drug advancements in the past have made, should we do away with the way we conduct clinical trials in terms of having this control? When you have something that everybody's labeling a super pill, shouldn't you just get it to everybody uh, instead of having some people go in a control group with a type of chemotherapy that, as I said before, seems to be universally viewed as, uh, as a pretty ineffective type of drug. So it was really a heartbreaking story, which in the end, um, the cousin who was in the control group could not get the super pill. He had stage three, and he died. And the cousin who got the super pill at stage four, he's, um, he's, he's, he's doing okay. I mean, he's, you know, he's... And are there scientists... And, and, like, actuaries on the other end of this equation that say it really has to be done this way, even though it's, that's it's not the, perfect? That's the great debate, because I don't know how they would – they're still saying that you need to conduct these clinical trials with a control to ultimately say that this new super pill is the super pill that it is. But some doctors are saying it's such a super pill that we don't need to go through. We need to rethink the way we do these trials and not have these controls that you're playing God, essentially, which is what the poor, you know, mother of, of the young adult who died was called up all these doctors and said, how can you play God, you know, with my son's life? Get him this pill. Our, our friend Becky Mack from Florida has a question, and I don't think I know the answer to this, but were they both diagnosed with melanoma coincidentally, or do they think it's something, do they both, like, take a dive in a, a cesspool they on Thursday or something? They both work construction. They're both, they both uh, live out in California. Central Valley, I believe, is where they live. And, again, uh, I'd have to call up the Times piece and look. Uh, they were both um, working construction-type jobs. I believe that at least one of them was found to have a gene mutation. I don't know about the other. I rem but I do remember the article discussing a, a gene mutation. But go on the New York Times website under the health section, and it's very easy to find this piece. And I really recommend that everybody everybody read the story, and we can ask our guests about it and hopefully uh, get them on the show. We'd love to make this, you know, this whole topic of what is the state of clinical trials these days when you have these really advanced drugs coming out and this whole notion of, quote-unquote, playing God. It's just a, it's right. fascinating and, in this case, you know, frustrating and ultimately a, a heartbreaking and uh, of a life for one young adult. Well, I mean, and, and like I said, this this is it's just so interesting that we, we're even having this conversation that we've reached the point where, where treatment has advanced to the point where we now have to make life-altering decisions on someone's care based on statistics. Right. Even though the option is there, the technology is there, it's proven, but there's still some science science stuff <laughs> that has to happen. <laughs> Right. Curse you, Bill Nye. Or Thomas Dolby. Or Thomas They're blinding Dolby. us with, yeah. Oh. <laughs> dating, dating myself. You're single? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. With that note, I let us... Uh, let no, that. really, are you? <laughs> <laughs> don't make me do the Marvin Gaye. No, I am Come definitely on. not. I don't really want to go to the Marvin Gaye. All right. Well, let's bring in our first guest in our Survivor Spotlight tonight. This is probably the most appropriate intro cue I could think for her, because she's just a rock star. Lindsay Abner's mother fought breast cancer and ovarian cancer when she was only 12. In June of 2005, after graduating from the University of Michigan, Lindsay tested positive for a mutation on the BRCA1 gene and opted to have a bilateral prophylactic mastectomy. She then became the youngest patient nationally to opt for that specific procedure and founded Bright Pink in January of 2007 to share her experience and resources with other women across the country. She is one of the most intelligent, insightful, and entrepreneurial young women I've ever met in my entire life. And I'm not just saying that because she's adorable and Jewish and fantastic. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Lindsay Abner. Lindsay. The adorable Jew. 
honored to be here with you. That was like such a nice introduction, Matt. I feel like I don't—I definitely did not deserve that. So well, yes, you did because you are cute and adorable, <laughs> and you wrote it and for me. I hope—I don't know if, if Jack told you. Jack stopped by the bright pink offices this morning in Chicago. We were so lucky to have him. I took a wrong turn in Albuquerque. <laughs> you were in Chicago this morning. Yeah, Jack, I was doing Lindsay's pre-interview. Jack gets around. Yeah. Wow. We yeah. have a great T&E expense. Yeah, you, here. you yeah. got to experience Jack in a multidimensional component. Yep. <laughs> and I'm the face of the new ad campaign. Absolutely. You really, so are you prepared for bankruptcy? <laughs> He's redefining sexy for us. Oh, okay. And for the listeners that weren't there to witness this uh, debacle this morning that was my life. You mean all the lucky people on the planet that weren't there? Yeah, everybody, all <laughs> the fortunate Earth. people with the exception of Lindsay and uh, Sarah. Right. But uh, Lindsay and Sarah decided that it would be a good idea for me to put on one of the baby doll bright, uh, bright pink tank tops and get a picture taken in front of their big logo and their big pink wall. And, of course, I was more than happy to oblige. I showed a little mid- midriff. We got some pictures, and the pictures are on Facebook now. I'm so tired of seeing you run around in tight baby girl. Where's my throw-up? Pink top. Down cute. Pink top, Jack. And we also gave him a pink crown. You felt super special by the end. Oh, that's right. I forgot about my pink crown. And then they told me to keep the tank top because they did not want it back. Oh, man. And I did get a lot of looks going through airport security on my way home this afternoon. Well, let's have Lindsay tell everybody out there all about Bright Bright Pink. Well, thank you guys so much. So as Matt had said, um, I had this very strong family history and made a decision about five years ago to have a preventative double mastectomy um, when I was only 23. And going through that experience leading up to the surgery, I felt super alone because, you know, there's there's some wonderful places for cancer survivors, and yet I didn't have cancer, but I, I faced this very high risk. In addition to kind of my own risk was all that came with having you know, my grandma and great-grandma died a, die a week apart both from breast cancer and kind of growing up with cancer in the family throughout my mom. So um, when I started Bright Pink, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just kind of another pink organization. The whole focus of the organization is to educate and it, young women on what is their risk for developing breast and ovarian cancer and then arm, with, arm them with the resources and the knowledge that they need to develop a strategy to either prevent cancer or catch it in an early non-life-threatening state non-life-threatening stage. So it's been, um, it's been an amazing three-and-a-half-year journey um, that's now led us to a place where we have more than 25,000 members and supporters nationwide, nine educational and support programs, and ten chapters, um, bright pink chapters all around the country. And we should direct people, the website itself is actually bebrightpink.org, is that right? Exactly. The whole idea of being bright pink is all about being bright. So it's about being smart. I'm out. Being being positive and being in control of your breast and ovarian health. And, um, you know, I think our whole goal is to get women in their 20s and 30s to stop thinking this is a disease they'll deal with when they're 40 or 50. Um, I was actually teaching um, a a whole guide on the symptoms of breast cancer last week, and I was saying, you know, the reason we start this conversation in your 20s and 30s is so that, you know, God willing, you get to know what's normal for your body such that if one day something changes, whether that's a month from now, 10 years from now, 40 years from now, whatever it is, you're going to be so used to knowing what's normal, you're going to speak up and, and, and make sure that um, it's handled appropriately. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the larger question is that it, clearly there must be some debate or controversy over the need for a radical procedure like this as opposed to, you know, leveraging your risk instead of, like, yeah, what's the worst that can happen? You can die from cancer. But what's the worst that can happen? You get hit by a bus when you go home after your bilateral mastectomy. You know, leveraging your risks is something I, I think can appreciate. But can you talk a little about the conversations that people are having who are who, who, who sort of espouse some conjecture toward this, this radical choice? Absolutely, and it is radical, and I always say that it's not the decision. I mean, I sit within the super high-risk category. It doesn't make sense for... This is not a decision that, you know, a woman with an average or even slightly increased risk should be even considering. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I remember when I first kind of um, came out with, with my decision in the story, I was getting some a, a ton of pushback. People were saying, you know, 
Lindsay Abner needs to stop trying to play God. She needs to, you know, just move on with her life and figure this out 20 years from now. I had a doctor um, here in Chicago, Chicago before the surgery, a plastic surgeon, who said, are you married? And I said, I'm not married. And he said, you know, I'd really suggest you, you find the person you're going to end up with before you make the decision to have a surgery like this, which was always, obviously I wanted to, like, kick him after that. Was wow. I an Orthodox rabbi that wow. was 80? Can you imagine? I mean, I just, I was so, and I remember I called, I called my mom after, and she was, like, fuming, but she's like, we're going to deal with that guy after all of this, because, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's amazing. I think that's the message, and what I love so much about I2I is that it's all about empowering people to be their own best advocate and decide what's right for them, and, you know, not just sit back and, and be a passive um, kind of bystander in the process, but actively take part in their care and and in their um, in their treatment, which I think is so very important. So yes, I have received kind of that pushback. I always say it's you know it's a personal decision. For me, I was originally getting um, a mammogram, an ultrasound, an MRI, and a clinical breast exam every six months to kind of monitor this um, this risk I had. And you have to think there comes a point where you're not just trying to, you're trying to just detect cancer versus actually preventing it. Do you know what I mean? So I'd go into the appointments and I'd hold my breath and I'd, you know, pray that everything would be okay and I'd get that sigh of relief and find out everything was fine, but no, six months later I had to go through it again. And with an up to an 85% lifetime risk, that's, I always say those are not odds I'd want to take to Vegas. It's just, um, it's, it's very, very likely, so to say, that I would have developed the disease. So isn't it true that having this procedure might increase your risk for other cancers? So, no, it actually, they, there's been some studies out saying that it actually might decrease your risk for ovarian cancer as well. We know that if you actually remove your ovaries, um, that significantly decreases the risk for, for breast cancer. So that's something else that I would say with our organization and the pink. Um, you know, pink is such about breast cancer, breast cancer, breast cancer, which is really important. But I'm sure you have tons of ovarian cancer survivors that will say, you know, unfortunately it's not, that disease is not always thought of as, is as, as being as sexy as, as breast cancer can be. So our whole organization is sparking the conversation with the pink, but then once we have a captive audience, educating people on the ovarian cancer symptoms because we know it's the deadliest gynecologic disease out there. So um, I will say, though, even though I did have the surgery, it does not mean I have a zero risk of developing breast cancer. I still have like a 2 to 3% risk because um, I love when doctors always say it's not like your breast tissue is green and the rest of your tissue is pink. Like it's you have to, they do the best that they can to get the breast tissue out, but there still is some tissue. And you, you've heard of those, you know, stories here and there about people who have the mastectomy and then end up getting breast cancer, which are devastating. Um, for me, I had to kind of weigh those odds. I also decided to have a nipple sparing mastectomy where they, they left the outer um, skin on my, around my nipple. And it was, for me, it was just, you know what, I, I got to find out what I can live with. And this little risk of 3 to 4% is dramatically less than, the woman walking down the street who has a one in eight or twelve percent risk. So, sure. so what? So, other than the nipple sparing message, I mean, you chose to then have reconstruction. Is that right? Did you, did you do implants, or what was your? I did. Was your I, I yeah. replaced um, my double A's with with beautiful uh, C cup <laughs> silicone implants that I always laugh when I'm running on the treadmill and I look to the side in the mirror and I always <laughs> see everything else is kind of going places, but I'm like, there's my boobs. They're not going anywhere. But, no, they're not. They don't go anywhere. And silicone um, implants now have been proven to be very safe because there were some years way, way back where they were taken off the market, but now uh, plastic surgeons are, are quite uh, pro the silica- silicone implants now. Yeah, they are. And actually yeah. the material that um, that they're using a lot that I had is kind of almost, they described it as like a gummy bear type. So Absolutely. if it were to ever puncture, yeah. um, it's not like it's gonna the silicone's going to travel throughout your body. It just kind of like, it's kind of gross. It just kind of hardens and... It's there like a gummy bear. I've heard about the gummy bear implants, and they're actually they're making they're really making advancements with um, with all kinds of reconstruction. They're making them even more kind of. Do they come in Sour Patch? <laughs> yeah. I know. No it's like, can I get cherry flavor? Do they have Swedish fish implants? <laughs> I don't know if you yeah if you want a certain shape to that. But they're making they're, they make them more sort of teardrop like every day and yeah uh, so they make them so it's not just like it goes skin 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 boob it's like they literally they're meant to kind of slope and really look as natural as possible yeah no they can really obviously the other the other kind is the is the is the free flap stomach kind which is 
can often be tough if you're doing a, a double mastectomy to get that much tissue from your stomach, but the uh, the implants are, uh, they can do amazing things with the implants. So, Av, if I may call you that. <laughs> yes. What's in store? You're just going to keep taking over the world? You are so sweet. Well, we are so just blessed and excited. This, you know, I always say, and, and Matt and Jack and I were talking about this today, was how, you know, October is really the Christmas of the breast cancer world. Like, this is when it all culminates. But for us, since we focus a lot on ovarian cancer as well, this has been just as big of a month for us in September as, as October will be. But um, we have events all around the country happening um, starting October 1st in our San Antonio chapter, and then we're in New York and Chicago and Miami and in Atlanta. Um, we have an amazing line called Zone Fitness that's coming out. It's pink exercise equipment. What I love about it is it's, you know, obviously we know there's no foolproof prevention technique you can do to say it's not like it's not as though if you lift a bunch of weights you're not going to get breast cancer but i do really believe in incorporating these um healthy lifestyle choices and for all people regardless of kind of cancer risk um so that's exciting we have um we just did a big event with juliana rancic last week matt was so sweet to to help me get the word out on that it's um and it's playing e network Juliana, from the E uh, network yes, she's married to, to um Bill Rancic, Bill from the apprentice. the apprentice right right you got it. So Juliana joined with us in Orbit White, and um, we did a 30-minute segment on how to do how to be breast self-aware. It was all called Treasure Your Chest, which was so fun, and we had treasure chests of Orbit White spilling out everywhere. Um, but people can log on. That's actually playing throughout October. It's livestream.com slash treasure your chest. So um, we got a lot of great stuff going on, and i got to be honest with you, we've just been so blessed to have tremendous advocacy partners like our friends at I2Y and um, you know, we're good friends with Immerman Angels and Young Survival Coalition. And um, I'm just so excited and honored to be on here with Debbie Wasserman Schultz because she's such a personal hero, and we've been honored to help support her efforts at um, the congressional level. Well, we are absolutely thrilled to have you. I miss you dearly, and I can't wait to see you again. I might be coming out to Chicago in early November, and I will be sure to let you know because I'd love to see you. But thank She's you so much. coming to New York in a couple of weeks. And yeah, so we're going to be in New York. We're, we're going to come stop by the studio, hopefully. Oh, oh um, great. Sarah and I, and meet all of, I mean, obviously give you guys a big hug, but Lisa and meet you. And Fantastic. honestly, you guys, thank you so much for everything you're doing. Cause, I mean, I think the work is so freaking important. I can't say it enough. And um, I'm honored to, to be a part of your community. I recognize I'm not a full-blown survivor, but I just um, I deeply honor and respect the Hey, you're the there. You're, you're, you're there. You're and, in the club. And just to close out, what's the website? So the website is bebrightpink.org, B-E, bright pink like the color, dot org. All righty. Lindsay Abner, everybody. Check it out, everybody. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Lindsay. Bye. Thanks, you guys. Have a great night. All righty. All right, so let's uh, quickly get to the news here. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All righty. During this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, each week we listen to Jack Buffard stammer through a series of special announcements to let our listeners know about a whole bunch of stuff that we don't want you missing out on. Free stuff, like young adult conferences, happy hours, retreats, scholarships, support groups, concerts, and more. If you have something coming up that you'd like to hear read during this segment, please send an email to Jack Buffard at jack at i2y.com. That's jack at i2y.com. Take it away, bro. Thanks, Matt. Here's your stupid cancer news. Head on over to events.i2y.com. Events.i2y.com is your one-stop shop for all stupid cancer events happening nationwide. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we don't want you missing out on it, especially if I'm not going to be there. We do have upcoming happy hours. We have our New York City Halloween party on the schedule. So, again, head on over to events.i2y.com and see what's going on in your neighborhood. Team Stupid Cancer is the nation's first running team exclusively supporting young adults. Slots are still open, so if you or anyone you know is interested in running on our behalf, visit teams.stupidcancer.com. I'm running the race, Aaron's running the race, Kenny's running the race, we got a bunch of people, and it would be nice to have some more people with us in case I need to be drugged across the finish line. Again, team.stupidcancer.com. The buzz is building around the fourth annual International OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults being held this April here in New York City, so stay tuned for more information with stupidcancer.com, this show, and events.i2y.com. 
All right, folks, being that I lack both the time and the intelligence to share with you all the great stuff we have going on for young adults, I've created the Booth News blog. Everyone needs to check out boothnews.i2y.com. That's B-O-O-F dot I-2-Y.com. It is the official list of all stupid cancer news resources, including surveys, exercise programs, writing workshops, peer services, and fertility resources. And on a personal note, I want to send uh, my regards as well as the regards of the entire foundation to a, a, a friends of my family who lost their 25-year-old son, Nick, to uh, leukemia this, this past week. And uh, the Bizet family is certainly in our prayers, and you guys are the reason why we do what we do. And we're going to keep fighting to make sure that what happened to you does not happen to anybody else. And that, my friends, is your Stupid Cancer News. Well, you know what? Thanks, Jack. Really you, important stuff. Your stammering is getting a lot better. You know why? Because I saw Lindsay Avner today. <laughs> <laughs> He's got some wagger and a swagger. She does. <laughs> she does sound adorable. She is. Adorable. She is. No, she's. And her mom is the best too. She's really fantastic. Okay. She's really fantastic. All right. Well, let's bring out our uh, our guest du jour. This is some big doings, folks. This is some really big doings. All right, Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz represents Florida's 20th Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives, where she is Chief Deputy Whip. She's a mother of three and a breast cancer survivor. Representative Wasserman Schultz introduced the Early Act, a bill that focuses on educating young women about the dangers of breast cancer. The Early Act was signed into law as part of the health care reform. We are thrilled to have such a rock star politician on our show. Please welcome... Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Congresswoman, welcome aboard. Are you with us? Are you with us? <laughs> she's on the line. Did you unmute her? No, she's unmuted. She's unmuted. She's on the line. Well, maybe she's she can't hear us. Can she not hear us? Maybe she can get Christy to get help her. Well, you know, we haven't had many of these technical. Uh, no, we really haven't. We've never had this. This is happen probably before. the first one. I think our it is. The first major national politician. All right, in our Christy, first our producer is, is is rushing to the rescue to figure out what's going on here. Oh, she, she is no, muted. she's not muted. I've unmuted her. Wait I a minute. I can hear you. Ah. Oh. oh, there we go. There she Hello. Is. Oh, I've been able to hear you the whole time. Oh, technical glitches. We <laughs> are fired, Matt. I'm all right. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Oh, That's what the Republicans do to me all the time. <laughs> okay. Great. Now I'm no better than uh, than Sean Hannity. That wasn't a Matthew filibuster, I assure you. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure. Just a quick question. What would you like us to call you? Oh, Debbie, it's fine. Okay. All right. Well, first of all, I hope you had a happy new year and a safe fast. Good yontif. I I did, yes. Thank you very much. Okay, good. Thank you. We get to call her Debbie. That's exciting. Yeah, that is very exciting. <laughs> First politician. <laughs> We're thrilled. We're so thrilled to have you on the show. Um, Thank you. First of all, about your diagnosis. And you had, is it right that you had seven surgeries for your breast cancer? I did, in 2008. 2008. Okay. Can you kind of walk us through that a little bit? Yes. Um, I was doing a, you know, semi-routine self-exam in the shower in uh, in. in November of 2007, and, uh, you know, I did self-exam semi-regularly, not not religiously every month, and I was doing a self-exam in the shower, and I, you know, knew enough about what my breast normally felt like so that I knew when something felt different and felt a lump and thought, hmm, you know, that's that was not there before. That doesn't feel like it's supposed to be there. And so I went to my doctor, and uh, when... You know, he examined me, and we went through all the, you know, ultrasound and ma- you know, mammograms. Um, ultimately, I uh, had a biopsy, and because there was a debate over whether it was or wasn't something, and uh, you know, was di- diagnosed with breast cancer at 41 in uh, in December of uh, of 2007, and subsequently, because I caught my can- breast cancer so early. The initial uh, recommendation was for me to just have a lumpectomy and then radiation. Right. But because I am a, a you know, Jewish woman of Ashkenazi descent, um, which is of Eastern European descent, and Jew- Ashkenazi Jews are five times more likely 
to carry the the, the BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene We're good mutation. people. We're good people. <laughs> we are, aren't we? <laughs> so I wish I, you know, and I didn't know that. As, as much as I had been an advocate uh, for, you know, and to fight breast cancer, I, I passed breast cancer legislation as a state legislator. I didn't know that Ashkenazi Jews were more at risk. Right. So if I didn't know, just imagine how many uh, Jews don't know. But I, I took the blood test because they recommended that since I was a young Ashkenazi Jew with a little bit of a cancer history in my family background, um, that that blood test would be important. Uh, and when I did take the blood test, uh, it, it came back positive uh, for BRCA2. So that changed my uh, my course of treatment that was recommended and I ended up having a double mastectomy and reconstructive surgery and ultimately had my ovaries removed as well because prophylactically because you know as a uh, BRCA carrier you're you're also you know have between like a 40 and 85% chance of getting ovarian cancer sometime by you know by the time you're 50 so right. those odds were were too 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 great for me and I was fortunate that I at least had my my husband and I had, had all the children we planned to have and I breastfed my my children so I was fortunate um, and, you know, was able to uh, to deal with my cancer through through surgery and uh, did not have chemo or radiation. Did not have chemo or radiation. Okay. And so you, no. have, and you have three kids. So I obviously do. at some point uh, they will go for the gene testing as well. Or what's your feeling about your kids? You have, you have daughters? I have two daughters and a son, yes. Okay. And actually, you know, with, with, the, with the BRCA gene, it is not gender specific uh, and it can be passed down through either parent. So um, it's, it'll be important for all of my children to, to get tested. Um, my, my daughters, obviously, because of the, the possibility of them getting uh, breast cancer in the future, but my son, because, you know, he may have children one day. And so I'll, I'll tell you, the, the most difficult thing, I, I didn't share my uh, story uh, in my experience publicly until I was all the way through it. And for two reasons. I really wanted to spare my kids. They were very young, uh, you know, uh, when I was diagnosed, and cancer is a very scary thing for kids. But when I did finally uh, talk to them about it, um, you know, the one thing I wasn't prepared for, I had read a lot of stuff about about uh, you know how you tell your kids. The one thing I wasn't prepared for was when my ten uh, my then ten year old daughter Rebecca um, said to me, uh, you know, mommy, am I going to get breast cancer? Oh, and yeah. uh, you know, I couldn't tell her no, you won't, um, because. It's certainly possible that she could one day. Because you're uh, I, I don't want to lie necessarily. No, of I course mean, not. Yeah. I'm not going to tell her don't worry about it. I, yeah. But what I told her is it wasn't something she had to worry about right now and that, you know, I would make sure that she knew uh, how to you know, make sure that she was familiar enough with what, what her breasts are supposed to feel like so that she could know one day if something was different. And that was what the early act was all about. So let's get right let's get right to that. Tell us about the early act. You introduced that bill. It's become a law. Uh tell the folks out there who are maybe coming to this for the first time, learning about it for the first time, what it is, where they can find out about it, what the information is, how the early sure. act impacts young adults. Sure. When I um when I talked shared my story publicly uh about my own experience with breast cancer, one of the things I wanted to do was Still a niche that was uh, that that was you know, a void in breast cancer advocacy and young women, you know, organizations like uh, like Be Bright Pink and and the Young Survival Coalition came to me and said we need to make sure that we raise awareness among young women. Too many young women don't know that they are potentially at risk. They think they're invincible. As it is, it's tough enough to get them to focus on their health. Never mind their breast health. And so we introduced a bill called the Early Act, the Education and Awareness Requires Learning Young Act, and it's a bill that creates a national education and awareness campaign targeted at young women between 15 and 45 years old with the goal of making sure that they're aware of their breast health, that they go and get their uh, checkups and that they get clinical breast exams, but also, Lisa, that they that we educate healthcare professionals because what I've heard time and again is healthcare professionals dis- are dismissive of young women who come into their office with a problem with their breast because they say, oh, young women don't get breast cancer, or come back in six months, it's probably just a cyst. And what happens is they come back and it's often more aggressive in young women and diagnosed at a later stage and they need more aggressive treatments that if it was taken care of earlier and they weren't dismissed, then they, they you know, could have avoided all of that. And then lastly, it creates a grant program 
for uh, organizations that help young women deal with the unique challenges that we face when it comes to uh, breast cancer because, you know, it's a very different experience having breast cancer in your 20s or 30s or even your 40s. And you, but let's say you haven't, don't even have a boyfriend yet, never mind to have contemplated having children, and you're facing chemotherapy and the, comp- you know, the potential for, uh, possibility of your fertility being compromised. Some doctors don't even talk to young breast cancer patients about that. We need to make sure that women, you know, that all young women get the, get the information that they need when they are facing it. Well, you're absolutely right. You've got two of us here in the studio right in your wheelhouse. I was 29 when I was diagnosed uh, with breast cancer and went through uh, exactly, I'm 15 years or so out now, but went through exactly that. I mean, you know, felt a lump and uh, doctor, oh, it feels like normal cystic breast tissue. An entire year went by and uh, I was just lucky that it uh, wasn't more aggressive than it was, which, as you mentioned, it normally is extremely aggressive and much more aggressive in younger women than older women. Absolutely. So So it passed as, uh, I'm just thrilled to tell you that we introduced it on March 23rd of of 2009, and on March 23rd of 2010, a year to the day when President Obama signed the health care reform legislation into law, the early act was part of that legislation, uh, and, uh, and it is now law. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure how much your, your staffers uh, told you about the show. The organization that we're we're a part of is the, the nation's largest young adult support organization. So we encompass all cancers for all young adults, and we are very heavily involved with groups like the Young Survival Coalition, even Coleman. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I do I do why and yes, no. I mean, I, they, they did tell me, and I have. Yeah, plenty so, of black I mean, background material. <laughs> so, I mean, as as a young adult brain cancer survivor who was given Robitussin by his campus physicians, I can wholly wow. appreciate the dismissive wow. nature of physicians. My question to you, before I have another uh, a specific question about the NAPCO stuff, but the the standards that you've set in place now, the precedents that have been set by the passage of this legislation, have they opened up the opportunity to expand the conversation to all young adult cancers? considering that these sort of anthropological issues that go on are not specific to the disease but to the age group? Well, Matthew, I certainly hope so because you would not believe the struggle that we had to go through to to, to get this passed, not, not through the Congress because I had overwhelming support uh, from – we had 374 co-sponsors in the House, 35 co-sponsors in the Senate – but believe it or not, there, I mean, I know you, this is going to come as a shock, but there's actually politics in the cancer community. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I came, you know, smack, smack dab up against that politics when uh, a couple of groups and, you know, a number of uh, scientists and researchers argued that we shouldn't be raising awareness in young people, in, in, in young women. Uh, well, that, that was that my was second not, question. That was the National yeah. Breast Cancer Coalition Foundation. It was, yes. And uh, I mean, uh, fortunately, we were able to 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 beat them on on, on this, um, not without numerous obstacles uh, what was thrown their in argument? our way. What was their argument against this? Their their, their main argument was that uh, basically, it's such a small percentage of the the, the breast cancers, that young women, is such a small percentage that it's not worth expending precious resources on such a small percentage of the population and uh, that if you educate young women it's since most likely it's not going to happen to them you're just going to scare them unnecessarily I mean really I'm not making this up this is what they argued and uh, I I just thought you know what (laughs) young women are are smart enough to be able to to separate you know different facts from fiction and to, to be able to absorb information and make decisions for themselves. But they certainly can't make those decisions if they don't have the information. I mean, we live in a nation that is surrounded by the politics of fear. So how is adding one more thing that actually can potentially <laughs> help people a bad thing? Well, I mean, this is also the same group that thought that the USPSTF guidelines, to, that women shouldn't get mammograms between 40 and 49, were a good thing, too. So, I was right. just going to ask you about that, yeah. The I mean, I, you know, I don't look. I don't want to. I don't want to come on here and, and trash a particular organization. The, the, oh, the point is, is that <laughs> that's what we do every day. You're not trashing an organization. 40. You're raising awareness. <laughs> yeah. Well, there were over 40 groups that, that you know, pro, you know, cancer advocacy groups that supported the legislation we overwhelmingly. Were we were one yes, of them. Yes, you were Bradley. absolutely, and I can't thank you enough. Um, we uh, we all banded together. 
we, we wrote let, there were letters and emails. I mean, the campaign to, to get the early act passed was really I- I- incredible. And, uh, you know, young, young women all across the country now who uh, call me, stop me all the time, and, and they say, you know, thank you for, for, for waking us up and for helping to make sure that, you know, young women, again, who often just don't think about it uh, or dismiss it, you know, a lot of women, you know, uh, Lisa, would have, you know, many young women uh, who were at the stage of life that we, we were at, uh, when they find a lump, they blow it off. And they just say, oh, it's probably nothing. Or they're dreading what it might be, so they put it off for a few months, and then they go to their doctor, and then imagine their doctor is dismissive of them. So it's it's so important that we get – and the education campaign that's part of the Early Act is a, the type of campaign that's going to be cutting edge and that will reach out to young women uh, – in a way that is going to actually reach them. And not, I mean, how often do young women get their information from a pamphlet on the, the end table at a doctor's office? You know, not too often these days. Never. <laughs> how often yeah, is never? exactly. <laughs> so social media outreach and, uh, and, and other kinds of ways of reaching young women, uh, particularly uh, young girls, because really if, if you're focused on it from the time you begin to develop, not obsessed with it, not freaking out about it, but just being diligent and being familiar with your breast health so that you know what's normal for you, so that you can know when something feels different or looks different, uh, you know, because it doesn't always start with a lump. I mean, the other important point of the early act is that people need to know that it could be scaliness or redness or discharge uh, from your nipples or all kinds of different, different things um, that, you know, a young woman might just say, well, that's probably nothing. And you know, we just can't risk that. I, absolutely. And I think what's important, too, is it's really not just in this day, it's not just young women. It's good for young men to know this, too. I mean, I remember of speaking course. at a seminar, and a young guy came up to me afterwards, uh, something for a local Columbia Presbyterian Hospital here in New York, and a guy, he was 25 at the time, and said, my girlfriend's going through breast cancer. And, you know, they are very involved and have to be very involved, whether it's a girlfriend or a sister or a mother or um, so it's it's good for the good for the young men to be uh, involved as well. And you know, I applaud you particularly because not only is it difficult to get legislation like this passed, but any just the concept of women's health alone, astoundingly, is a relatively new concept. I mean, I think it must it be is. an incredible battle for you uh, in Congress <laughs> to try to get any attention to women's health. I mean, women weren't even in clinical trials for uh, most things, for most drugs, uh, until very recently. Everything was done on men's bodies, even though That's we right. have completely different biologies. You know, and we finally got, I mean, we have uh, you know, about $250 million that is spent, uh, you know, in, in the d- defense uh, appropriations bill, which is where that m- funding had to be had to be inserted. That's <laughs> the only way we were able to, to actually get that much money, uh, you know, cordoned off for, for women's health and breast cancer is in the defense budget. And I, 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 ironically, um, we couldn't uh, wake them up in the, uh, the HHS you know, Health and Human Services budget. So um, that that funding is there, but still, you know, there are there are arguments and bickering that go on uh, all the time over how that money is spent and which research is funded. So you know, we need, we need to make sure that, uh, that the, the people who make those decisions are well are are representing a broad array of groups that uh, that cover the multifaceted agenda that uh, that is cancer. So the money actually came out of the defense budget? No, actually I was able to get uh I was able to get a separate appropriation to fund the education and awareness program. So and the grant program as well. So we were able to get 5 million dollars in the appropriations bill this year to fund the education program and then for the uh for the next year we're going to get uh, you push for funding for the grant program as well as the continued funding of the education program. You know, one of the brilliant things about social media is it's such a user-generated experience. We actually have a couple of uh, questions uh, from we have a live integrated chat room every time we do the show. Oh, great. And it's always very ripe with active act, activists and advocates. <laughs> um, Fantastic. The, the question of the – I don't know how familiar you are, but perhaps you could comment on the Avastin controversy going on. Yeah, I am actually uh, somewhat familiar with it. Um, and, and that's a raging con- controversy. It, it's you know, it's a it's a, in part because it's an extremely expensive drug, and because the you know scientific advisory panel of the FDA, I guess, has has decided unanimously that uh, it's a drug that should you know no longer be recommended for off-label uh, use 
for, uh, for, for advanced stage breast cancer. Uh, why? Because the side effects don't, in their opinion, outweigh the, you know, purpose for, you know, for, for using it. And, uh, you know, because these are women in an, an advanced stage of breast cancer, um, death is the alternative. <laughs> right. So it, it, it's hard to find a worse side effect than dying. Um, so, so Have it is you a met little. My parents? Prob- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love my parents. <laughs> Come on now. Parents. Come on now. No, I'm so kidding. I, I really. listening tonight. I love you, Dad. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, I'm all for lowering healthcare costs and making sure that we can uh, can have uh, treatments that have efficacy. But um, when you're dealing with someone who's who's literally, uh, you know, at the end of their rope and they don't know, and they, and, and for them it's it's working, uh, which for in some cases. Avastin is. It's it's hard to understand why they would why they would move forward with that. So you know, I, I'm certainly hopeful that the FDA will uh, will you know not necessarily uh, go along with their recommendation. Well, there you go. And did you want to ask? Uh, I mean, I don't know. What do you got? What do you guys think? I think that you can't win. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I, I, I could argue the other side very easily. Yeah, I mean, I'm a neurotic Jew from New York. You just can't win, no matter what you think about. <laughs> the way it works, you know, we're 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 genetically predisposed to just think we can't win. So that's yeah. right. That's why I could take the other side. Forget Tayfax, you know. I, I I actually I actually would like to ask um, Debbie. We get to call mm-hmm. her Debbie. That's we get awesome. to call her Debbie. That's so cool. You can yeah. call me Debbie. Oh. Yeah. BFF. BFF. Um, because you're so, I know you're on MSNBC a lot, and you go on a lot of these shows, and you're so mm-hmm. eloquent. And so many people, you know, when I mentioned that you were coming on Thank the show you. tonight to my friends and parents and family members, everybody, oh, we love her, we love her, we love her, we love her. <laughs> She's so great. Every oh, time thank you. Um, and you are, you, you are, you're such a great voice out there. But what is, you're so seasoned at this, and obviously you're a politician, and you've gone on so many shows. Do you ever, I guess the question, and, I, and I'm a former, uh, I actually used to work at the Fox News Channel as an entertainment correspondent, not anything. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, political on in there, but covered entertainment there. But I, but I uh, you know, know a lot of folks there, and uh, like I said, was far from the politics. But when you're on and you're, you're kind of talking against somebody on the other side of the uh, fence from where you are, whether it's Fox News or anywhere else, um, what's your... <laughs> I don't know how I can quite phrase this, but what's your you're you're composed, you're together. What's the greatest challenge for you? I mean, there's so much, you know, we're so split on so many issues yeah, right now. Really and are. to really get, you know, you're you're trying to do so much for the good of so many out there and yet there's so Thank much you. that you have to come up against that is really a lot of noise that detracts from the core of what we're trying to do and move forward in this country. It's so much energy, and it must be so exhausting to try to subdue that kind of noise, stay on track, fight these, you know, forces that are so at the other, like I said, side of the fence from what you believe in. Just any thoughts about that as you go out there and you're constantly, like I said, because yeah. we are so divisive at this moment? No, absolutely. And you know what? The the, the thing that drives me every day uh, and that is the reason that I keep going, you know, back out there and, and you know, standing up and, and trying to, to, you know, fight the good fight, so to speak, is uh, because I'm a mom. You know, I mean, I'm a mom, and I go home to my kids every week and uh, and look them, you know, I've got to look them in the eyes, and I want them to, you know, to be confident that their mom is in there fighting to make sure that their lives are going to be as good as my life has been. And, um, you know, I'm really concerned about the direction that uh, that this country could potentially go, and I think we really have a choice in November. Um we, we could continue to move in a new direction and and fight for the change that, uh, that 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 people have been hoping for and continue to push for you know creating jobs and turning the economy around and making sure that we have people in Washington who understand how important NIH funding is and uh, NCI funding is and not have to to uh, while while certainly reducing the deficit is important you know balancing deficit reduction with sane fiscal policy so that we don't you know we we don't abandon uh, the 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 quest for cures for disease um that's the choice that we've got in in November so uh, you know I, I go up you know go in there every day and whether I go on Fox or MSNBC um the toughest challenge is is trying to make sure that my head doesn't spin off my body 
<laughs> so when, uh, when I'm debating someone that I don't agree with and just maintaining my composure and, you know, trying to, to, to rationally explain, you know, what you're, Democrats' perspectives and why we think it's so important that we strike balance between, you know, fiscal policy and, and making sure that we're looking out for the needs of people um, as opposed to the wealthiest few and special interests. Right, which 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 is you know it's just like it it just go back to the whole you can't win thing. Um, I mean, I'm I'm a jaded New Yorker, and politics are not really my my thing. I I don't really get involved with it very much. But the Health Care Reform Act, uh, which is now the Health Care Reform Law, was like yeah. a really big thing that I jumped on, and there were so many people that were opposed to it when all these cancer organizations unilaterally supported it because of the basic tenet that now it ends discrimination. Now, Look, I don't you know. I don't, the three of us, Matthew, the three of us are perfect examples of, uh, and this is the argument I made when, when I was fighting to help pass the health care reform law, was you know, the face of the uninsured isn't the poor person on the street. It's not the guy who's, uh, who's, who's begging for a handout. It's potentially you, me, and Lisa. Right. Because we're just one job, uh, you know, one job loss away from under the, the current system being uninsure, un, uninsured because we have a pre-existing condition. And now because we passed that health care reform legislation, we are, are going to be able to spend our lives knowing that the rug will never be pulled out from us, under us. We're never going to be medically bankrupt. We're never going to have to worry about getting sick and having our insurance company drop us. And we're not going to be denied coverage because of our pre-existing condition. That was incredibly important accomplishment. No, hua to that. In all seriousness, <laughs> and again, just going back to the whole, you know, we we represent young adults, and this is the population yeah. that is most likely to be under or uninsured and underrepresented, right. and you know, be un or even unemployed or part-time employed or a freelancer. You know, it's it's this such a huge demographic disparity when you're looking at this it age is. group. I mean, I was diagnosed at 21. I'm 36 now. You know, but I'm still in the age group, and I still have problems. Right. So, right. No, look, and that's giving. the choice. Yeah. November 2nd is a choice because all over this country there are Republicans running, and I don't mean you know, to get too partisan, but there are Republicans running all over this country for Congress who are vowing to repeal the health care reform legislation and go back to special interest insurance companies controlling health care decisions and getting in between doctors and their patients. I mean, I don't think that's where Americans want to go back to. You know, or they can support a Democratic candidate or their incumbent Democratic congressman or woman who is going to make sure that we can, conti can continue implementing the law, continuing improving it, because, of course, it's not perfect. It has a lot of room for improvement. But making sure that we can put patients and their doctors in the driver's seat about health care decisions and making sure that, uh, that profits uh, for insurance companies is not what's driving health care decisions in this country, that's incredibly important. Well, if you could give me Ann Coulter's home address, I could probably take care of a lot of these problems with a couple of guys I know. Well, that's, that was the question that I was, like, mulling over is there's, a, there's so much stuff out there, and there's just so much wrong information that is – There really is. I, I'm going to use the word spun when they, you know yeah, – the no with, spin zone. Like, like the news when they spin something. Right. Um, you know, like, well, like, they just like, make it up. How, yeah, or they just make it up. Like, you know, like, oh, you know, your grandmother's going to die because someone said so. It's like, okay. Like this whole government takeover of health care. I mean, right. this was you know, not a government. This regardless was of the fact a that all private these people, market. <laughs> right. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah I mean, and, and it is crazy. And, I mean, I'm going to say it. There's a lot of crazy people out there, and we know who they are because all of their signs at these, at these rallies are misspelled. But, like, how do, <laughs> how do, we, how do we fight to get – people educated as to what the right information is when you have all of these people out there that are saying, you know, they're going to kill grandma and blah, blah, blah. No, and dude, 75% of this country can't find this country on a map. Right. Okay. We're working with a very, well, very low mean, statistical percentage. Look, there, there are people that are, are legitimate, you know, have legitimate concerns, and, that, you know, I've, I've spoken to them at some of my town hall meetings, and what, you ha what I try to do is just set the record straight and answer their questions and get them the information that they need. And, and then, you know, most of the time, people who really are legitimately concerned and have and want to be rational and, and hear you out on, on the answer to, to their question, you're able to, to, to get them uh, you know, straightened out. Even, though if they, even if they still are opposed to it, don't think it's perfect, 
you know, they go home happy that they got their question answered. But then you have these right-wing Tea Party people who, you know, just are living in conspiracy land and for some reason think that uh, you know, what, what we're trying to do is take over every aspect of their lives. And it's just... When you're dealing with people who are irrational and simply won't listen, uh, there's there's really not a whole lot you can do. Well, do you have any way of getting? Um, uh, oh God, I just blanked out his name. The comedian who's now the Republican uh, from Saturday Night Live, Dennis, Dennis Miller. Miller. Dennis can you Miller. just get him back to doing comedy? Because <laughs> <laughs> he was a lot funnier ten years ago. Although Matthew was, yeah. you're happy to not have Al Franken not doing comedy anymore because he's he's on your. I love Al Franken. Yeah, but Al, yeah, I'm yeah. glad. Al yeah, Franken's awesome. Yeah. Al Franken is yeah. a better congressman, better, what is he, governor? Senator. 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 Better yeah. senator <laughs> than comedian, and I'll, I'll take that any day over Stuart Smalley. Thank I mean, you. they have finished his recount, right? So he is uh, he took a yeah, year. He's officially a senator. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yep. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm, I'm just so excited to have you on the show. You are officially Thank our you. first. We've been on the air. This is 149th broadcast in three and a half years. And you're wow. our first politician. I think we this finally is our first. Oh, thank yeah. you. We're a real, we're a real <laughs> boy. We're a real boy. And, 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 and as I said, a rock star politician at that. Absolutely, so. absolutely. Oh, thank you very much. So thank you I, for doing this. The show no, is so important. We're, we're just thrilled to have you. Good luck with everything. Um, you have fans in New York City who right rally for you all the time. Thank you so much. I look forward to coming back on and uh, you know continuing the fight with you. Take care. Great. All right. Take thank care. You. Congress, okay, thank you. Okay. Wasserman Show. Wasserman Show. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. She's just awesome. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm so happy right now. I <laughs> really? really am. I'm, I, I'm beaming. It's when can we get her back? Let's, like, you know, we have a, we're booked through November, December. Back on. Let's go. <laughs> our, our, next, our, our, our next opening. Let's no, I want Al Franken in. now. I want, I want Al Franken to go over his donut hole theory, which he says on every single speech he ever gives. <laughs> But you know, you know the donut hole theory, like where all the middle class people like us that have insurance are stuck in the middle. Right. Because the, like, if you're poor, you have Medicaid, and if you're rich, you have money. Mm-hmm. But if you're in the middle, you have nothing. Right. So, yeah. Mm, donuts. <laughs> donuts don't have meat, right? We can. No, eat you can have donuts. Check on your vegetarian diet. Yeah. But yeah, wow! I'm excited. I I love that she's. She's got such an opinion. It's she's nice to have a politician with an opinion. Who stands by it the whole time? And she's funny, and she's a mom, and she's got heart. I mean, yes. that's the thing is at the core of her talking about this goes back to I'm a mom, I've got three kids. Yes, this is why I do what I do. Exactly. And uh, fantastic. She's cool. So I know we didn't get to talk about the the clinical trial stuff, but she does raise a good point: the passage of the early act and the passage of the healthcare reform law now. You know, it does set a precedent where, like, yes, doctors shouldn't dismiss women who come in, because it's better to be afraid than dead. <laughs> if given the well choice put, of fear-mongering yes. versus death, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I'd rather live in panic and fear. I'm yeah. already Jewish. I'm halfway there. <laughs> exactly. Right. We, all, we all are. Yes. There are 12,000 women under 40 who get breast cancer each year. Right. And a large percentage are told, you're too young for this. Come back when you're 40. Right. Hey, hey. wait. That's a good term. Hey, wait. I'm too young for this? Yes, exactly. You're, nah, on, you're on to something there. That'll never sell. No, right. no, but that also That's goes stupid. I'm going like to start cancer. another organization called Don't Give Robitussin to Brain Cancer Patients. And uh, What? You couldn't shorten that down to I2I. No, I no, no. no. DB, DB, yeah. NRB. No Robitussin brain tumor. NRBQ. That was a band. NRBQ? Yeah. Gesundheit. Thank you. Okay. All right. I think we're done. I think we're done. I think we are done. Um, let's tease next week's show before we tease next week's show because th- next week's show is off the charts awesome. We continue our streak of off the charts awesome shows for all of you listeners out there live tonight and on iTunes podcasts. Lisa, go ahead. We can't even believe that this is our show. I know. <laughs> is this our show? Next week we have Lisa Niemi, who is the wife of the late actor Patrick Stewart. Patrick Swayze. Uh, but, but, Captain Picard died. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. Shoot me now. Oh, no. See, this isn't Make our Make it show. so, Lisa Bernhardt. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, get me my Earl Grey tea hot. She's going to kill me. I just blew it. Oh, you did? I absolutely just Shakespeare blew it. Lisa Bernhardt, everyone. Thank good you. Night, everybody. Good night. Oh, I don't even <laughs> I'm not even a Trekkie. I don't no. even watch Star Trek. Patrick Stewart is, first Patrick. of all, he's gay. 
he? Yes, he is. Yes, he Extremely. Is. Well, it doesn't mean he <laughs> and couldn't. And he's male. It, didn't, it doesn't mean he couldn't have a wife. And I suppose Patrick Stewart and Patrick Swayze are nothing alike. Are I completely botched that. Polar opposite yes. human beings. I can't, I can't picture Thank Patrick you. Swayze doing Shakespeare. And I can't picture Patrick Stewart doing, doing Dirty, Dirty Dancing. Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, Number one, I've had the time of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never felt this way before. Oh. No one puts or Roadhouse. Like a, Can you imagine Patrick Stewart in Roadhouse? No, no one puts Riker in the corner. <laughs> oh, Matthew, that's my favorite moment of yours. I hope you recorded that. No one puts Riker in the corner. <laughs> Fantastic. We are recording oh, dear this, God. aren't we? Yes, we right. are. Lisa Niemi, right, she so would be the wife of the late actor. Actor Patrick Swayze. Give me that copy. I'll read it. <laughs> I don't think there's... Tonight really we listen to Lisa Bernhardt stammer through a series of special announcements. Thank you very, very much. I really, the stammering has been released. I really yes. have to... The fact that I have to turn this over to Jack says yes. something very, very sad about yes. me. But I, I, I saw Lisa Neamey at Stand Up to Cancer. She did right. a, a, a her own personal segment during the Stand Up to Cancer broadcast about a tribute to Patrick Swayze. Right, and she's now become a spokesperson for PanCan, which is the Pancreatic, Pancreatic Action Network. Exactly. Yes, a very so, important and organization. She's been a writer and director, and, and uh, she has an amazing story to tell about life with Patrick Swayze. Yes, Patrick Swayze. And his diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. So she's coming on the show next week. Yes, yeah, so you guys got to tune in or set your iTunes podcast, itunes.i2y.com. And uh, now it's time. No mention of this conversation. No, and this never happened. We shall strike this from the record, even though it is permanently archived on the Internet and Google search. Okay, with that said, it is now time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's tonight's show, our 149th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. We'd like to thank our in-studio guests. Exciting. Which is, I have to scroll up to get it. <laughs> Am I the only one here with a... Why, why, do, why did we just go dead Kenny Kane, Aaron, <laughs> Eloise Silberg, Blake Janelle, Sunil Spirit, and Cattell Martin New, and our... Yes, Survivor Spotlight, Lindsay Abner, and Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman. Next week's show, as we said, Lisa Niemi. Wife of the late actor Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. And our African Spotlight, Shannon Foley from the organization Love, Hope, Strength. Fantastic. If you missed any of our previous shows, all 148 of them, subscribe to the iTunes podcast at itunes.i2y.com or search for iTunes. Search for Stupid Cancer in the iTunes store. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer, and we'll see you all back here next week live from the chemo deck. This is Jack Lufard, Lisa Bernhardt, Amanda Freeman, and Captain Picard. Wish you all a great week. Who are we saying goodbye to? Your dad. Go to go to bed, Lou Greenswag, Papa Bear. Get, get, get busy, busy living. living.